Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Lucy Hickmott. It's Friday the 27th of September. Coming up, men jailed for blowing up cash machines. To detonate explosives is really significantly dangerous and causes obviously quite a threat potentially to people if it was done again. Nigel Farage holds Brexit party rally in Maidstone. We're in week 24 of this party. We built it quickly. I'm touring the country every day. I'm trying to get the party fit and ready to fight a general election. And Gillingham captain has high hopes for this weekend's game. I think boys are now starting to gel together in terms of learning each other's game and sooner rather than later it's going to click. Kent Online News. Two men have been jailed for a total of 33 years after detonating explosives inside several cash machines, including one near Ashford. The 27 and 30-year-olds were arrested trying to flee the country with thousands of pounds after targeting the ATM outside a co-op in Kennington in February. A court heard they were found with TNT and wire cutters. Detective Inspector James Derham is from Kent Police and spoke to Christine outside court. In February this year there was the offence where these two defendants carried out the attack on the co-op ATM down in Ashford where they inserted explosives into the machine and detonated those explosives causing a huge destruction to that property but equally sitting £30,000 from that ATM. Um, during the immediate investigation afterwards we identified who these people were and they were arrested at the docks as they were trying to leave the country several hours later. And they've also, this wasn't, you know, just a one-off event. I know it was here in Kent, but they've actually been part of a series of similar incidents across the country. Yeah, so through our investigations, we identified these people who were responsible for ATM attacks across Thames Valley Police and into the Metropolitan Police area as well. And it's only finally when they came to Kent, obviously they committed the offence here that they were apprehended at the ports as they were trying to leave the country by officers. Yes, obviously... They were obviously trying to, to leave the country. How did you manage to find them in time? As you can imagine, an awful lot of resources were put into this investigation from the very outset due to the nature of it and the impact it has on the communities. But equally, to detonate explosives is really significantly dangerous and causes obviously quite a threat potentially to people if it was done again. So through the initial inquiries, we identified a vehicle that was of interest to us. That vehicle was stopped and those persons were arrested at the port with very little time to spare before they left the country. And there was evidence found in the vehicle, such as money, and um, was there trace of explosives as well in the vehicle? Um, during the investigation and during the trial as well, it came out that on one of the defendants there was traces of explosives um, left on them. But equally, within the vehicles, both mission vehicles, there was property and items relating to the offences that we recovered. So in terms of the sentencing today, um, they got 15 years and um, 18 years individually. In terms, you know, to me that sounds quite a substantial sentence, but was that kind of what you were expecting? Yeah, I think if you look at the previous stated cases nationally, um, I would add to that, though, there's never been IEDs or explosive devices used previously. Um, but I think that is definitely within the region of what we were expecting. I think it sends out a clear message that it's completely unacceptable to attack ATMs. And to attack ATMs in this method as well, it's not acceptable. So in terms of um, ATM thefts, unfortunately, Kent has seen an increase. But they're usually done, you know, with diggers from the ones, you know, you've sort of seen. That kind of seems to be the common theme. So how, you know, shocking was it that the method that they use with explosives? Completely shocking. As I say, this is, these are the only people who've ever come or ever used explosives in this country to attack ATMs. It is a series that's been identified across Europe, but this was the first time this tactic had been used within the United Kingdom. I would add very unsuccessfully, because it was only the last attack where actually they came away with any cash at all. Um, 
But yeah, no, it's very shocking that they would carry out like this. And you've got to realise the impact this has on the communities. Obviously, we had to get the bomb disposal unit in to examine the scene to make sure it was safe for other people. And all this time, the communities can't use the local convenience store. I understand the ATM is still not in use now, and that really has an impact on the communities. And in terms of um, ATM thefts, you know, as a, as a whole, like I said, Kent has um, seen an increase. So is this something that, you know, obviously after the sentencing today, it must be quite good that people are being brought to justice in these, these crimes? Yeah, definitely. I think nationally we've seen an increase in this type of offending with the ATMs. But equally within Kent, we've had this success, successful prosecution. Last month, another two people convicted of trying to attack an ATM in Paddock Woods. And there's other people awaiting charging for further ATM offences. Kent Online reports. Elsewhere today, two men have been charged by detectives investigating a robbery outside a bank in Raynham. A cash-in-transit driver was targeted near Nat West on the High Street on Wednesday morning. 36-year-old Warren Young from Cavendish Avenue in Gillingham and Samnit Sidhu, who's 23, and from Greys in Essex, are both accused of robbery. A Maidstone man suffered a broken nose after allegedly being headbutted and threatened with a screwdriver following a car crash. The victim says he was driving down Boxley Hill when he smashed into the back of a black Mercedes which suddenly stopped yesterday. He then reported being attacked by the other driver who left in his car. Police say they're investigating. More than a 1,000 people turned up for a Brexit party rally that was held in Maidstone last night. Leader Nigel Farage gave a speech to his supporters at the showground in Detling. He spoke to our political correspondent Paul Francis after the event and started by telling him what he thought of the Prime Minister. Boris Johnson has picked up the rhetoric. All the stuff that I've been talking about since the Brexit party have been founded, they're the words that Boris is using. Indeed, today he's been criticised for using some of them. But what you say and what you do can be two very different things and whilst I'm pleased to have a Prime Minister with a bit more energy and a bit more passion than the previous one although that wouldn't be very difficult my real concern is he's trying to reheat Mrs May's dreadful deal he's trying to bring back that EU treaty and that is not Brexit and we've heard a lot about the language that is being used in the comments mm. last night what's your take on that did it overstep the mark no no and I do think there are I do think there are limits, the language that should be used. I mean, I personally, if I get supporters that use the word like traitor, I say, like, I do think that actually is going too far. But I think the use of the word betrayal is absolutely consistent with what is going on in politics. And isn't it interesting? The very same people that are happy to call those of us that believe in Brexit fascists, neo-Nazis, you know, the abuse that's been thrown at people on my side of the argument are the very people who, when they get a little bit of stick back, start crying blue murder. And Kent is obviously a territory which you're familiar with. Have you got the support within the county to push you over the line? Tell me that. Well, I mean, in my previous incarnation of UKIP, we did have success in Kent. You know, a lot of seats on Kent County Council. We won a by-election in Rochester and Strood. Um, I... Do you know something? If Boris Johnson does get that deal of Mrs May's through, I think he'll be shocked at how let down the people of Kent will feel. Are you worried that standing candidates in seats where Conservatives have smaller majorities will deliver victory to Labour? 
No. Um, I think the interesting thing is that, of course... But you'll be taking away... Well, we take Labour... Yeah, but we take Labour votes too. And, you know, we saw all of this back in 2015 with UKIP, where everybody thought that UKIP would split the Conservative Party vote. In fact, the Tories got a majority because of the damage we did, uh, indeed, to the Labour votes. So, so, you know, don't predict where a Brexit Party vote may come from. But I would say this. You know, if the Prime Minister decides that actually going back to Mrs May's deal and reheating it is the wrong approach and that he's going to go for a clean break Brexit. In those circumstances, I would work with him in a non-aggression pact. And you know something? He'd win a very big majority. And what about your, your own plans? Got plans to come back and have another go at getting a parliamentary seat? I don't know, Paul. I don't, I, do you know what? We're in week 24 of this party. We've built it quickly. I'm touring the country every day. I'm trying to get the party fit and ready to fight a general election on whatever basis that may be. Uh, I've got to, I think in the next few days, give a bit more thought as to what I might do myself. And have you got a hunch that an election is coming sooner? It has to. I mean, this it's, side of Christmas. Yeah. I hope so. I believe so, and I hope so. It's a broken parliament. It doesn't work. The last seven times the government have called for a vote, they've lost. The government can't function anymore. Uh, I think people are getting increasingly angry with our politicians. We need an election, and I think it'll clear the air. And I think it'll deliver a good Brexit majority in the House of Commons. Well, former Maidstone MP Anne Widdicombe, who defected to the party to stand in the EU election, was also at the rally yesterday evening. She told Paul how she felt to be back in her old constituency. It was quite a decision to take. Um, I wouldn't come here during the European campaign. I was all around the country, but I wouldn't come here. Uh, I felt that I, it was too soon, that I shouldn't do that, that there'll be people here who pounded the streets for me who don't agree with the decision I've taken. But then I thought, hang on, this is the one place in the whole country where I really should be explaining why I've done what I've done and why I think that it's absolutely right that I've done what I've done. Why are you sticking with the uh, Brexit party when effectively you've got a government now under Boris Johnson which is pro-Brexit, is committed to leaving? Why, 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 why return to frontline politics? Committed to leaving? is not compatible with representing the May deal, which is what I think Boris is going to do. That's not leaving. That is leaving in name only, and a few years down the line, the British people would realise they'd been conned if that's what happened. So uh, I'm not convinced that we've got a government that is absolutely determined on Brexit. Now, I think Boris has got a huge amount of determination. He's saying the right things, uh, but I wait to see if he is actually going to be able to deliver. I've got to ask about the events in Parliament yesterday. Some people said it brought shame on the institution. Do you think the, uh, the language some Parliament that was used went over the top? I think it got rather heated yesterday. And actually, yesterday really was a time for calm because we just had a legal ruling which is going to have constitutional reverberations for a long time to come uh, and which has raised all manner of questions that go way beyond Brexit. Uh, and I would have expected that Parliament might have been in a slightly more reflective mood yesterday, but just as in the country feelings are running very high, so they're spilling over in Parliament. So I understand what happened while thinking that yesterday of all days there should have been a slightly different approach. Your successor in this seat, Helen Grant, has said that politicians do need to moderate their language and uh, it's damaging when people use some of the words that we've uh, seen. Well, I think some of those words are justifiable. I mean, not all of them, but some of them surrender. are. Surrender, I believe, to be totally justifiable. The May document is a surrender. It is saying to the EU, and this is what people don't realise, it's saying to the EU, 
you can keep control of our trade deals, you can keep control of our defences, uh, we won't have a say in any of it, uh, you can do this, you can do that, and by the way, you can keep us in the customs union for years as well. Because the political declaration that goes with it, which is made um, compulsory by the deal itself, I know that sounds complicated, but that political declaration wants a level playing field between EU and Britain. It doesn't want us to compete. I know you said in your article that you felt some of the uh, predictions and forecasts of Armageddon, uh, Operation Yellowhammer, were kind of not accurate. Why do you say that? Well, I say that because when I talk to business and when you actually look at the pronouncements of the head of the Port of Calais, for example, the authorities at Dover, none of that disaster is expected. They're expecting it to be... Uh, fairly smooth. But you have small but businesses who are particularly concerned about this. Uh, and you've got small land. businesses who are looking forward to it. You, you've got a division of opinion amongst business, as you have everywhere in the country. The crucial thing is, government's had three years, there's been a lot of planning. I actually looked at the Kent stuff today because I had a meeting uh, uh, with uh, somebody uh, and, and I wanted to look at the Kent stuff. And there has been very significant preparation in Kent for a clean break Brexit. It really will not cause the sky to fall on our heads. And Yellowhammer, which has you know, alarmed so many people, is a worst-case scenario. And a government is supposed to prepare for the worst case. Kent Online News. Four members of staff at a care home in Sittingbourne have been sacked after footage showed a resident experiencing physical and emotional abuse. Inspectors visited Elvie Court in London Road in July after video emerged of the workers failing to help someone sit up properly and partially dragging them under the arms. The home's been told it requires improvement, but the health watchdog says steps have been taken to make sure staff are keeping people people safe. A disqualified driver who robbed a man of his BMW in Maidstone by pretending to buy it has been jailed. Joel Morgan stole the car before going on the run in May last year. He led police on a chase before he was found hiding in an airing cupboard 130 miles away. You can see a video of the moment he was discovered by officers at kentonline.co.uk. The 29-year-old from Dickens Road in Ringleston has been jailed for 40 months for several offences, including dangerous driving. A controlled explosion is being carried out near Maidstone today after a second World War device was found on a building site. Police and bomb disposal experts were called to Warwick Way in Kings Hill yesterday morning. Schools, nurseries and a community centre had to be evacuated following the discovery and some have been shut again today. Councillor Sarah Barker says it's causing a lot of disruption. It obviously uh, slows things down a little bit but uh, the main problem for the parish council is that the community centre has had to be closed and so we have classes that have had to be cancelled and the preschool which is at one end of the uh, community centre will have uh, had to close for the day. They have two sets of groups come in during the day so they would have had to have been sent home. Councillor Barker also says it's worrying that a similar thing happened back in June. Knowing that it was a, an air, a previous airfield one would have thought that possibly the land had been checked for bombs but and to be found in the same place as it has been now is um, a little concerning. Kent Online reports. A great-grandmother from Hearn Bay has avoided jail after making a string of dodgy bank transfers. 63-year-old Jacqueline Sloat from Leville Drive moved more than £7,000 through various accounts after receiving the cash from her granddaughter. She's been given a suspended sentence. Her granddaughter and a friend who both admitted money 
laundering have also avoided being put behind bars. A petition's been set up by a Kent football coach after his team of seven-year-olds were told they could no longer use their pitch. The youngsters have been banned from playing matches at a park in Upper Hauling, which is owned by the parish council. They say the park's for children and families, not official games. Now, the art that's been shortlisted for this year's world-famous Turner Prize has been unveiled at a gallery in Kent. The award will be handed out at Margate's Turner Contemporary in December. Before that, we can see what's in the running to get it. One of the curators of the exhibition, Fiona Parry, told us more about her role. We just work very closely with the artists to realise their exhibitions in a very short time frame. They find out that they've been nominated six months before the exhibition opens and then it's kind of like all systems go to make the exhibition happen. Um, they're based on exhibitions that they have done in the last year. So very often the show relates very closely to that, that show that they've been nominated for, bringing together works in a new context. And I think a lot of the artists this year have done something quite distinct to this space, um, really responded to the context um, and sort of shifted what they've done ar around a little bit, which has been really exciting because it's something new. Um, and yeah, so we basically work really closely with them to make the show as good as it possibly can, engaging for our audiences, the four artists who've been nominated for the Turner Prize this year all have very different practices, but I think they have lots of connections between them. We've got painting in the exhibition, not quite as you know it, but it's quite good to have painting in the Turner Prize. Um, sculpture, installation, video, performance. Performance is a big part of the prize this year. They all do performance. Um, so we're standing in Oscar Murillo's space, and he's sort of enclosed the entire gallery in his massive canvases and he was very interested in looking at the social and political moment in the UK at the moment so he's blocked out our beautiful view to the North Sea with this enormous black canvas basically representing what he sees as the darkness of our contemporary moment. Um, Lawrence Abu Hamdan has this sort of immersive video installation which looks at, at sound basically and the role of sound in legal testimony and in legal cases. It's incredibly fascinating research that he does um, into how we perceive sound and, and the role of sound in, in the law. Um, and then Helen Kamuk, um, her, her exhibition is really centred on this one film called The Long Note which looks at the role of women in the civil rights movement in Northern Ireland and how they were basically, their contributions were overlooked at the time and it brings together many different voices um, to tell different stories of that time. Um, and then Tai Shani um, has created this kind of fantastical installation um, and basically it's this sort of radical future vision of a world which is totally separated from our own um, that is sort of beyond gender as we know it it's a sort of feminine it's about feminine experience and and beyond the sort of hierarchies that that structure our, our society today I mean I think it's a really strong year I think people there's lots of people to engage with there's lots of things that connect to people's everyday experience that connect to political things that are happening in the world today that people are thinking about. But it's also quite spectacular. You know, it's, there's really um, a lot to look at, a lot to see. So it's also very enjoyable. So I, I, I hope people will get a lot out of it, actually. The exhibition of work goes on public display tomorrow and will be on show until January. Gallery director Victoria Pomery says it's a huge opportunity for the county. It's a really exciting moment for all four nominated artists, but it's also a very important moment for Turner Contemporary, for Margate, for Kent. And this is a national and international prize, so it's hugely exciting. Out in the town there's a lot of anticipation, there's people really wanting to see what's happening in the gallery. 
I think people are very excited about the prospect of having Turner Prize here, but also all of those other activities that are taking place in this town, which has really embraced creativity. It's a great group of shortlisted artists. They are dealing with really relevant contemporary themes and practice. There is plenty for everyone, any visitor, to come and really get them thinking. The work is very thoughtful and very thought-provoking. I really hope that there is a long legacy from Turner Prize 2019. I think we've already seen outpourings of creativity in the town and the Margate Now um, Festival. There are lots of artists working here in the town and I think it will ensure that that creativity is content continued. This is a moment really to remember, but also I think the legacy about encouraging others to participate, to enable people to have aspirations and ambitions to become an artist is really important. That festival Victoria was telling us about Margate now starts this weekend with around 60 events involving 500 artists and performers. Kent Online News. The roller rink at Monkey Biz in Medway is closing down after what the company's calling an unsustainable rent increase. It'll open for skating for the last time on Sunday. The gym is also shutting, but the soft play area will stay open. It's been revealed the £90 million expansion of Ashford's designer outlet will be opening in just under six weeks. 50 new stores have been added to the shopping centre, including Yo Sushi, Pret-a-Manger and Under Armour. The official opening ceremony is due to take place on the 7th of November, two years after work started on the project. A campaign's underway to try and save a 1,800-year-old painting near Dartford. The picture of three water nymphs on a wall at Lullingstone Roman Villa is said to be at serious risk of eroding or fading away. Phil's been chatting to Roy Porter from English Heritage. The wall mural at Lullingstone is attached to a building, to a Roman building, which is covered by a modern roof. But the environmental conditions under the modern roof still change. The temperature can change, relative humidity can change, damp levels in the building can change. And all of those things still affect the mural itself. And in terms of you know the wall cracking and things like that, is that maybe is that the largest uh, kind of uh, problem that's posed to this painting? Well, that would be a major problem. We're actually more concerned here with the some of the more subtle environmental conditions. So we're worried about um, dampness in the building and how water is transferred through the surface of the painting. And if you just tell us a little bit about the painting itself, kind of when it was done and, and in terms of how it was actually put on there. Yeah, well the painting is really fascinating actually. It's a painting of three water nymphs. So it's a painting of three um, gods, if you like, associated with water. And the reason that's really special is because, well, behind me is the River Darrant. And that's the whole reason for the villa being built here. And we think that the painting is representing the goddesses of this local place and it's telling us something about what the inhabitants of the villa thought of the river how important it was for them and the water was for them as well so we think it's actually an, uh, a little sign that the room it's in was a room of religious importance for the people who lived here and just in terms of trying to preserve you know paintings and these kind of carvings from from that sort of era what yeah. are some of the challenges that come with that well the challenges we already touched on the challenges such as environmental conditions and just trying to stabilize them we're not trying to restore them we're not trying to make them pristine what we want to do is to stabilize them so that they are in their condition doesn't change 
effectively. We're trying to retard the processes of deterioration, um, trying to make sure that the air around them is as stable as possible. There aren't any great temperature fluctuations, um, any movement in the building at all, really. We're trying to get rid of that. Um, and by so doing, making sure that what we've received from the past is transferred to people in the future. Just tell us about why it's so important that we preserve these kind of pictures and why it's actually you know, really vital that you know, they're restored in the right way. Okay, well, the painting at Lullingston is one of the oldest paintings of a figure in the country. I mean, it's 1800 years old, so it's incredibly rare, incredibly special in its own right. But it's also worth saving because it, it gives you a window into the mindset of the people who lived here. You know, what you have at Lullingston isn't just bare flint and mortar. You actually have some of the decoration which tells you something about what they thought, what they wanted their villa to look like, about some of the things they thought were important as well. And that's true not just for the war mural at Lullingston, but across all of the English heritage properties which have murals, and there's over 70 of them, they offer an opportunity to get beyond the bare, dusty, walls to actually understand a little bit about how the buildings were used and as I said a little bit about the mindset of the people who were using them. If we can actually just finally touch on what the public can actually do to sort of get involved and help because you know you are a charity and you're looking yeah. for public help just, yeah. just tell us how they can sort of get involved. Well one very important thing is actually come out and see them yeah, come and come and visit an English heritage property and have a look at the wall murals uh, for, for yourself. Uh, but also, if you go to our website, www.english-heritage.org.uk, you'll find there's a dedicated page there for our wall mural campaign, um, and you can donate money, which will help directly in the conservation treatment of the wall mur murals themselves. Phil's also been speaking to Samantha Matthews, who works at Lullingstone Roman Villa. So obviously, we have uh, because they're water nymphs. There's water in the space, so there's a well, and we have the River Darrenth very close by, uh, that can affect kind of water movement throughout the, the building itself that obviously has the wall painting in. Uh, also some past repairs that were completed could actually be affecting uh, the paint loss of the and the flaking of the paint on the painting itself as well. Obviously such a historic and rare piece of artwork, mm -hmm. you know, what a shame it would be to see it go. It really would be, which is why we're kind of asking for help with this uh, big conservation campaign to try and raise some money so that we can stabilise the painting for future generations. So just tell us a little bit about the campaign. So you want the public to, to help out and donate? I mean, I mean, how are you looking to run this campaign? Yeah, so if they visit our website, obviously we're quite a new charity, 2015, and this is part of our a, a large campaign uh, of conservation work that we're hoping to complete at the various sites. So yeah, we're just really asking the public to get behind it and donate money as much as they can to help us preserve this for the future. And just in terms of preserving a piece as, as old as this and obviously with the mm. conditions around it, how difficult actually is that? So obviously we have the access issues and the fact that we need a ladder in order to get into this space. Uh, what we want to try and do is actually focus on the causes of the problem before we make try, try and make the, the painting or conserve the painting. Uh, so we want to really address that to stabilise it. In terms of, I understand the painting is around 1,800 years old, so yes, an incredible yeah. piece of uh, history that you have here. Just tell us about, you know, what a shame it would be to lose it and, you know, how important it is to have um, these kind of artworks preserved in the future. Yeah, so it's one of a few uh, Roman paintings that we actually have in situ in a, in a Roman villa, uh, certainly for English heritage. So it's a, it's a really rare piece 
uh, of artwork that we have. Uh, so it'd be, it would be such a shame to lose it. Kent Online Sport. Football and Gillingham will be hoping to bounce back from defeat last weekend as they travel to Oxford United tomorrow. Steve Evans' side were beaten 1-0 by Ipswich last time out and are currently 16th in the League One table. The opposition have gone three games undefeated in the league and beat West Ham in the Carabao Cup midweek. Jill's captain Max Amer has been chatting to us ahead of the match. Obviously results probably haven't gone as well as we sort of want them to. Um, but in, term of, in terms of performance, I think we're doing well. Um, obviously we're looking to turn some of them losses into draws and then draws into wins. Um, and we're very close to doing that. And we just keep working hard on training ground and that will come. I mean, it's been hard, obviously, with such a big turnaround in terms of staff and players. I think it doesn't just click straight away. And I think from where we started to now, we've progressed a lot. Um, so I think we're really close. Um, and it's just in terms of everyone just doing their jobs defensively, us back guys need to make sure we concede less goals and the front boys score more goals, um, which is sort of obvious. Um, but like I said, I think we're not far away at all. I think we... We as a team seem to almost play better, play better against the better sides. Um, but I mean, we're looking to win every game, regardless of who that is, home or away. Um, it's never easy having such a big change in the squad. Um, you're getting to know certain players, as in, sort of at the start of the season, myself and Lee Hodgson. I didn't, I didn't know how we played, etc., etc. And it takes time. I think boys are now starting to gel together in terms of learning each other's game, blah, blah, blah. And sooner rather than later, it's going to click. The fans out there have been, have been great. I think they have been, have been for a, the whole time I've been here. Um, but I think they can, they can sort of not see our game plan, but see what we're about. Um, and I think they're supporting us, but they always have, to be honest. But that atmosphere on Saturday was a different class. We go into every game looking to win, so it doesn't matter if we've lost in the last five years there every away game. I think it's a, it's a blank, blank sheet, and we're going there looking to win. Um, they're a good side, don't get me wrong, but they're not many points above us. Player for player, I wouldn't say they're better than us, so we're confident. And finally today, a gin festival is now underway at Blue Water Shopping Centre. Over the next few days, there'll be cocktails, interactive workshops and masterclasses from the country's best distilleries. It's the first time the event's been held there and it's on until Sunday. That's it for now, but don't forget there's more news throughout the day at kentonline.co.uk. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast.